So I have a few announcements for you guys tonight. Well, first off, I wanted to, uh, those of you that aren't aware, we sponsor some missionaries. A couple of them are Sean and Jen. They are in Senegal, Africa. And what they do is they're living um, in this house that um, is kind of, they're not like going out to the villages anymore. They're, they're living in there and other missionaries are going to come through there and they're kind of like managing that. So if we could, I just want to, you know, they listen to the podcast weekly, I think. So if we could all just say, we love you, Sean and Jen, like on three, I thought that'd be really cool. So on one, two, three, we love you, Sean and Jen. Cool. Okay. So um, East End Ministry, if you guys aren't aware, um, every Tuesday night we um, are in the East End um, on the corner of 7th and Campbell. Uh, we have, we, well, we do this thing called trash pickup. We go out in the community and we pick up trash. You know, there's a lot of stuff laying on the ground, just trying to clean up the community a little bit and um, show people that um, we really care for them and hopefully by connecting with the people in the East End, we can make relationships with them, get to know them, pray for them, and just show them the light of Christ. Likewise, we do uh, on Friday nights around 5.30 to 6, we do um, cookouts. So with that, we hope to uh, bring people to Christ um, just by building relationships and giving them food. You know, it's free for anyone who wants to come out. And we'd love to see you guys. Hopefully with the next couple weeks, we can get some videos of that going so we can show you what that looks like and what we're doing uh, so you guys can be more motivated to come out and help. Bible study. Uh, right now we're doing Bible study at the college uh, at Shawnee um, in room Massey 211. If you guys would like to come out, students preferably, of course, um, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday uh, at 8 o'clock in Massey 211, we're going through the book of Galatians. So if you guys are busy Monday, you know that's why we have them on Tuesday and Wednesday. We'd love for you to see uh, some of you students out there and to learn and grow with us. Um, there's also this Understanding Addiction group that's going on on Mondays, 5.30. What it's for is for uh, family or friends of addicts, whether it's alcohol or, or whatever addiction they're going through. It's so those people can kind of understand and grasp what they're going through um, so, so that we can better relay the message to uh, the person that we under, that's going through that. So if you guys want to, um, there's flyers back there on the table. If you guys want to learn more about that and attend those, if you guys know someone who's going through an addiction or something, um, it's free. You can go there. And uh, one last thing, uh, Allie and AJ, if you guys haven't heard, you know, it's been a while back, but, you know, their house caught on, part of their house caught on fire, and so they're living with Ryan's family right now. So if we could just keep them in your prayers still, um, It'd still be great, I'm sure, for for them. So I think that's about it for everything. I got something for you guys this week. Um, while you guys are out, or while you guys are like shaking each other's hands and greeting one another, I want you to think of this question. You know, if you if there's a zombie apocalypse in Portsmouth and you had to like hide out somewhere, where would you hide out? So what's up, Revolution? One more time. What's up, Revolution? That's what I'm talking about. So today, or tonight rather, we are going to be in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. If you want to flip there in your, those blue Bibles, you can do that. Or it's going to be up on the projector behind me. 
Um, just so you guys know, those Bibles are our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible or the Bible you do have is hard to understand. Um, but tonight is, the, we, this is our last sermon in the series that we're in on James. We've been in James since about May, and I'm pretty pumped. This is the first book that I ever uh, had the majority of preaching through. This is pretty good times. So I'm probably going to get a tattoo to memorialize the thing because I'm a nerd. Um, but I'm really excited. I'm really excited to, to be preaching to you guys this evening. Uh, but before we get into the text, before we get into some preaching, I got some things I need to admit. Right? I always say this is my favorite part of the service because I get to just vent things to people. Um, I forget things. Anyone else super forgetful? Like if it wasn't for my fiance Autumn and my mom, I would have no idea what I'm doing with my life ever. Like aside from faith in Jesus, like I would have no idea what was ever, ever happening. Like I forget birthdays. Right? I know five birthdays. I know Jesus' birthday, right, because you can't live in America and not know Christmas, right? I know Jesus' birthday, my birthday, my mom's birthday, my aunt's, or my sister's birthday, and Autumn's birthday, my fiance. And it's only been within like the last three months that I've memorized Autumn's birthday, and I've been with her for about three years. Um, and that's only because she got mad at me, because she walked up to me and she was like, hey, Dave, when's my birthday? And I was like, uh, when's mine? She was like, <laughs> she's like January 14th, and I was like, well, that's convenient, because only one of us knows the answer here. Um... And you know, women play those games, right? Like, well, I treat you good the other 364 days a year. Why does one day matter so much? I don't understand. Um, but I, I don't do well with remembering birthdays. Another thing that I do is I forget to do things. Like, if my family goes out of town, like, no one asks me to watch their animals ever. Because I'll forget to feed them. I've done that more than one time. Or if they do ask me to watch them, they'll ask Autumn, like, hey, can you and David feed the animals? Because Autumn will at least remind me. Um, and this is just proven fact, like, this is why I'm not ready to have children. Like, one, I'm not married, but, like, even when that day comes, like, a year down the road, like, I'm not ready to have kids. Like, if you forget to feed a dog, they'll be all right for, like, a day. Like, you forget to feed a kid for a few days, like, they might die. Um, so for the sake of my unborn children and the fact that I don't want to go to jail, uh, I, I can't have kids yet. I need to grow up a little bit. Um, <laughs> thank you, Brady. Always with the amen at the appropriate time. Thank you. Um, <laughs> something else I do. Um, anyone else forget like where you put things, like misplace things all the time? That is, oh, that is me. Um, <laughs> I, I misplace my wallet like about once a month or once every two months. And I don't mean like, hey, where's, like I, I misplace a lot of other stuff too. But my wallet's the big one. Like I never lose my wallet. Um, but like once or once every month or once every two months, like I'll lose it. And I don't mean, uh, hey, where'd I put my wallet? It's, oh yeah, it's right where I left it on the table. No, it's like, I have a freaking meltdown and no one's leaving the room. We aren't leaving the restaurant we're at. Like it's like DEFCON 5. We are finding that sucker now. Uh, like one, one, I remember this one time, me and, um, not me, I had, uh, I was, was at 4.30 in the morning. I'm getting ready for work. I'm getting ready to walk out the door. I have this little section in my mom's kitchen when I lived there that I kept my wallet and my keys and all that stuff. And I go, and my wallet's not there. And I immediately am just like, uh, we're not having this. So I start, like, I, I go outside, and I look in my car, and the wallet's not in my car, and I look in the driveway. This is all 4.30 in the morning. I'm still wearing my underwear, just for the record. Um, <laughs> um, there's no, it's not in the driveway. It's not in my room. It's not in the kitchen. I'm, like, tearing the house up. I woke up my parents on their day off at 4.30 in the morning. Um, I call my fiance because Autumn was there the night before, and I was like, so where, where's my wallet? She's like, what? I was like, where's my wallet? Listen to me. Where is it? And she, she was out of nowhere. She was like, well, you know, one of the cabinet doors on the bottom, like one of the bottom cabinets was 
open near where you put your stuff. Maybe you should check in there because maybe your wallet bounced up into there. And I was like, that is literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And lo and behold, I open up the bottom cabinet underneath where I put my stuff, and there's the wallet, which leads me to believe that she put it there. Um, <laughs> that this was all concocted by her. She says she wasn't. She's a liar. She needs to repent. Uh, I don't believe a word she says hardly ever. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but I started thinking, like, there was nothing that I wasn't going to do. There's a reason why I said all this. I'm not just trying to be funny. There's nothing that I wasn't going to do to find that wallet, right? Like, I made an idiot of myself. I woke up my mom and dad. I woke up my fiance. I was, make, I mean, if anyone would have been watching me outside, I didn't care. I'm, like, half naked running around the driveway looking for a wallet. Like, there was, I was going to be late for work. Like, I wasn't going anywhere until I found this thing. There was literally nothing that I wasn't going to do to find it. So my question is if God declared something lost and told you to search for it, to what lengths would you go to find it? Sit on that for a minute. I had to ask myself that question. And I'm going to go ahead and give my sermon away. I'm talking about people. Right? I'm talking about people that are wandering, people that were once Christians and have left the faith, or people who were once being very obedient to Jesus that still claim faith in Jesus but are wandering away morally or wandering away uh, with the things they think. You know, is this religion true? You know, I'm being distracted by the world and, and the things going on around me. You know, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to help? What does God expect us to do? So, so ask yourself this question. Think of the one thing, like for me it's my wallet. Think of the one thing that's prized, prized possession. Would you look for these people with the same fervor and intensity and passion as you would look for your wallet if it was lost? Or you would look for your purse if you couldn't find it? Or the phone calls you'd be making if the bank couldn't find your bank account? Or whatever it is for you. Would you be willing to look for, with that same kind of passion? So let's see what the Bible has to say on things being lost. All right, we're going to go to James 5, 19 and 20, and then we're going to flip to Luke 15, 3 through 7. Again, it's going to be up on the projector behind me. So let's see what James had to say. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Luke 15, 3 through 7. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Pretty interesting stuff, right? Heaven rejoices. God rejoices whenever people are brought back into the fold. James gives us a command to go and try to bring people back into the fold. But let's think about this. James ends his whole letter with this, right? James ends his whole letter with verses 18 or 19 and 20. He gives us a command. Now, that's within James's style, right? I don't know if I shared this with you guys at the beginning of the sermon series or not, but James, actually the book of James, has more imperative commands, commands to go and do than any other book in the New Testament per words, right? So per capita, it has the most imperatives to go. And James, like Paul would end his letters with, you know, tell so-and-so I said, hi, I'm going to encourage you in the faith. You know, I love you. I'll see you when I see you. I'm out. And James is like, go and restore your wandering brother. 
That's what he ends with. Now, James' whole book is concerned with what are you doing? Prove you're a Christian by the way that you live, by the things that you do, right? We named this sermon series, Prove It, right? He's concerned with you doing the word and not just hearing the word and not just coming to church on Sunday, but actually going out and doing. So the thing that James ends with is be concerned that the people around you that claim faith in Jesus are doing the word, People who once claimed faith in Jesus, make sure that they are doing the word. Go get them and go bring them back. Right? Because he's been talking about loving your neighbor this whole book. And this is one of the greatest ways we can love our neighbor. Is to hold them accountable. But James says, if someone wanders from the truth, go and get them. Right? So what does, what does it mean to wander? Now, there's two, there's two things for wandering. One can be someone disobeying the truth of the gospel. And the second thing is completely leaving the faith. I'm not saying that they have to become an atheist, but they have completely ceased to be anything even resembling following Jesus, and they've just stepped out and walked away. So we get the second one. We understand that concept. It's a concept called apostasy for any of you guys that like $5 words. Um, But to disobey the truth. So what does that mean? What does it mean to disobey the truth of the gospel? All that that means is this. The truth of the gospel, There's you're a sinner, you deserve hell, Nothing's going to save you except for the fact that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, took your sin on himself, and then went to the cross to suffer God's wrath for what you have done in your place. And he died, was raised from the dead three days later, and through faith in Jesus, you owe God nothing for your sin. That's part of the truth of the gospel. That's the big one. The other thing, and something that we don't think about, is that you've been made, through your faith in Jesus, a new person. You're a new creation in Christ. The old man is dead. You're no longer a slave to sin and a slave to your own desire, but you're now a slave to righteousness and a slave to Jesus. You have made Jesus your king and your Lord. So to disobey the truth of the gospel, to disobey the truth, like James is saying, is to cease to be obedient, to to go and live your life as if you've not been made new, or begin to wander off the path in that way. So that's what James is talking about here. Now, people wander and disobey the truth for different reasons um, and in different ways. And I've noticed four. Four of the ways that people wander. The first one is people wander intellectually. And this is a big one for me because this is one that I did. Right? What I mean by that is, you know, they start to ask the question, you know, is this religion true? You know, and I think anyone who, like, spends a lot of time, like, you know, kind of like armchair philosoph- philosophizing, is that the word? Um, you know, like sits around, like, let's think on this. What, what good is this religion? Is it really true that Jesus died before sin and came back from the dead? Are these miracles even plausible? How can a good God exist in a world with so much evil, right? And they'll start to intellectually stray, right, and question. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but uh, given enough time, you know, that can take you off the path of following Jesus. That's one of the ways that people stray. Another way people stray is they become distracted, Right? And everyone knows, like every, at least if you don't know, you, sh- you should have some friends that you're, you're tight with, and that's what we're going to talk about here in a little bit. People get distracted with the things of the world around them, right? They get so tied up with their job. They get so tied up with um, school. They get so tied up with uh, relationships, right? Uh, whether they're fighting with someone at work or, or whatever, or people um, like boyfriend-girlfriend kind of relationships, whatever. And they just begin to not care. They begin to get so focused on this other stuff that doesn't matter in the sight of eternity that they they stop following Jesus. They stop being obedient. They start doing what they want to do. 
Right? You can see that these people are starting to slack off. Right? These are people that you once talked to. Uh, hey, man, how can I pray for you? And they're asking you, hey, how can I pray for you? You're talking about scripture. You're, you're going out and, and helping people together. You're, you're holding each other accountable. And you see that they don't want to talk to you about that stuff anymore. And that they, they're focused on other things. And you can just see that they're distracted. That's another way that people wander. A, a third way is people wander morally. Right? They just, whether out of ignorance, right? Because some people, they just, they haven't been taught a whole lot about the Bible. They might be new. Maybe they never had a good teacher. But they wander morally. They begin to say, ah, I want to do what I want to do. Um, become slaves to their own desire. They begin to ignore God's call to avoid sin. They begin to do what they want. Like, uh, here's story time. This is, this is a pretty good one. Some of you might think it's inappropriate. So here we go. Um, I... I remember going into Kroger one time. It's about someone morally straying. Um, I went into Kroger once, and there was this dude, and this is a couple years ago. I went to church with him. Uh, we weren't super tight, but we were kind of friends, enough to where I could have like a decent conversation with the guy once in a while. And uh, I roll up in the checkout line with my arm full of stuff, and I say, hey, dude, what's going on? And he's like, he jumps and like looks back at me like he doesn't want to like, doesn't want to be there right now now that I'm behind him. And I was like, what you buying, brother? And I look down in his arms, and he's got a couple of boxes of condoms. Um, he's not married, right? So, like, things get, whatever. I thought that, it, that maybe someone would laugh at that because I don't care who you are or if you roll up on someone and they're married or not married, to catch someone buying condoms is freaking awkward <laughs> because you know how their evening's getting ready to go. That's what I'm like. I bet you I can guess what you're doing later. Um, <laughs> like I said, married or not, like, it's just awkward. Um, but especially in this case, because I knew for a fact that this guy had no wife, right? And I never talked to him about it again either, right? which we're going to get into accountability here in a second. I never talked to the guy about it again. I just kind of let it go. And, you know, in Kroger is not the greatest place to have an accountability conversation, right? You don't want to, like, grab the checkout horn and be like, we got a sinner here on checkout number four. You don't want to do that to anybody. But I just let it go, right? I could see that he was morally wandering Doing, he was becoming a slave to his own desire, ignoring the truth of the gospel that he had been changed. So people wander morally. They begin just to say, I'm going to do what I want to do. And another reason why people wander, and I hope that this, this broke my teeth this week, and I hope that it does the same to every one of you. Um, people wander because they never found family. They never found family in the church. They never had anyone take an interest in them, and they go out the back door, and we didn't even see them the first time. They never had anyone to hold them accountable. They never had anyone to to encourage them. They never had anyone to extend friendship to them and tell them that they're loved and that we desire them to be here and that we want to be their friend and we want to struggle with them. They never found anything, and this life was not meant to be lived alone. And I'm not talking about like life in general, like in some hippie, there's someone for everyone, but I mean like this Christian life was not a life meant to be lived alone. There's a reason why James and Paul and everyone else says brothers and sisters in Ephesians, we're told that we've been adopted. We're adopted sons and daughters into the family of God. This was not meant to be done alone. This is meant to be done as a family. So in all these instances of wandering, right, in all these instances, whether it's intellectual, whether it's moral, whether it's because of distraction, whether it's because no one ever reached out, this is all remedied by accountability. Having someone that you can go to, having someone that's going to hold you accountable, right? So 
for the people who are intellectually struggling, right? Here's what, let me just clarify accountability. A group of people or an individual that you can go to and talk with that also follows Jesus. That's going to hold your feet to the fire. That's going to care about you. That's going to struggle with you and the things that you struggle with. That's going to help make your burden lighter and love you and help you through these things. That's what accountability is. You know, so, so for the intellectual person, right? And I'm just going to say this real quick. Uh, and a lot of you might not like it, I guess, because it, it's work. If you know someone that's intellectually struggling, and, and I'm just, this is just a call to accountability all throughout. If you know someone who's struggling with the truth of the gospel, learn apologetics. That's a defense of the faith, for those of you who don't know. It's philosophy, science, history. It's how to defend Christianity using those things. If you know someone who's struggling, you may not have any kind of desire whatsoever to learn apologetics because you think it's boring and you think it's a bunch of BS, whatever. You have an obligation, if you know someone who's struggling with this, to go out and find the necessary materials to answer their questions that they're having about Scripture, about the truth of the gospel. Because James says, go and restore them. Jesus says, go find lost sheep. This, whether It's, it's going to be work, I'm not going to lie, but it's worth it because you can restore them back to faith. You know, for someone who's distracted, we go and we remind them of what's important. Like, hey, all of this stuff around you is fleeting. It's all going to end someday. Your job's not going to matter. Your relationships aren't really going to matter, right? It's not going to matter that you were fighting with your girlfriend here. It's not going to matter that you, couldn't, that you didn't know what you were doing at your job. It's all temporary. So we go and we hold this person accountable saying, dude, you're, you're losing sight of the whole goal. That obedience to Jesus is all that matters. If someone's straying morally, we do the same there. We hold their feet to the fire with scripture and say, dude, I can see you're messing up. And to the people who don't have family, we extend friendship to them, to the people that we don't know. So we can begin to have some accountability, so they can begin to have some accountability. They can begin to struggle with people and have some kind of a family unit because that's what this is all about. We cannot do this on our own. And, and truth be told, you won't want to do this. Like, let's just, let's just call a spade a spade here. You won't want to be held accountable, and you won't want, like, to hold anyone else accountable because it's awkward. Like, I remember, um, I remember uh, last year or so, me and three other dudes who were man enough to admit that we had the pornography addiction problems decided to start meeting up together and talking about it and holding each other's feet to the fire saying, this isn't okay, how you doing, how you struggling with this? Hey, let's go to Scripture and see what, what Scripture says about sexual purity and why God demands it of us. And there is nothing more awkward than four, like, college-aged men having to look at each other in the eye and be like, yeah, dude, I watched porn three days ago. That's a, it's a problem, right? It's just super awkward. And maybe it's not going to be that, that specifically for everyone. Um, but admitting that you hate someone you work with and you know that you shouldn't, that's going to be awkward especially whenever someone comes to you and says, hey man, I see that you're not treating this person the way that a Christian should. It's just going to be terribly hard sometimes, right? And this stuff might seem small, right? And and you might think, I really don't want to do this. I don't want someone to call me um, to task and I don't want to have to call anyone else to task. But I'm going to paraphrase Galatians 6, 1, uh, 6, 1 through 3 says, you know, if, if you see a brother or sister that's caught in sin, you point it out to them in grace and in love, but be careful not to fall into it yourself. You're supposed to help one another in these struggles and do not think that you're too important to do it. So it's like your, your awkwardness or, or your time or whatever, or having to actually go after this person or message them or make time to meet with them. You're not too important to meet with somebody. 
I'm not either. And I struggle with that. But communication, communication and accountability are key. And I'll tell you why. Without a family system, we just do whatever we want. If no one's there to tell us, hey, man, I see you're messing up, there's nothing there for us, right? Accountability acts as like a road bump. You guys know what I'm talking about? Whenever you start to go off the edge. They're super annoying whenever you know that you're going off the edge, but whenever you fall asleep at the wheel, those things will save your life. Same thing for us. But accountability and communication are key because nobody leaves overnight. Right? I, I hate Christian contemporary music. I hate Caleb with a burning fury that no one understands. But, but Casting Crowns uh, had a song called Slow Fade. It was kind of like hokey, whatever. But like the message was true in it. No one leaves Jesus in one day. No one wakes up. No one has a, just a banging church service on Sunday where everyone was worshiping Jesus and they were fed the word. And then Monday morning is like, screw this, I'm out. Like no one does that. It's a, it takes time, and it's always time without accountability. That's what it always is. It's always time where no one cares for you. It's always time where no one's holding your feet to the fire. But sometimes, despite all of your efforts, just no matter what that you've done to try to love this person, to make your love known to this person, to hold this person accountable, whatever, they leave. And there's nothing you can do about it. They, they say, I'm out. I don't want to follow Jesus. You've been accountable. You've been a good friend. You've been family to me. And I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. And that was me. That was me about five years ago. I had all the accountability in the world. I, I had friends like Steve and friends like Wolf who were, who were holding me accountable. Like, hey, dude, you need to stop doing these things. I know you're messing up here. Yeah, I don't care. I had a pastor that was breathing down my neck that loved me dearly. Yeah, I get out of my face. I don't care. I was done. I, I did not want to follow Jesus anymore. I, I quit. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. And you know something about me? A lot of you already know this. Some of you might not. I then, after leaving Christianity, became the most hateful, militant atheist you've ever met in your life. As much as I love to tell people the good news of Jesus and try to convert them to Christianity, I was just as hell-bent on deconverting people to atheism from Christianity. I would have hated everyone in this room, save three or four of you. Hateful, angry, angry atheists. But the question is, if that was me, and yet here I am, what do you do? What do you do whenever someone says, I'm out, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore, I quit? What do you do? You, you keep loving them. Period. You keep loving them no matter what. You make your love for this person known. You stay in contact with them. I love you. You're my friend. Do you want to hang out sometime soon? Hey, man, I'm still here. Hey, I'm not going to leave you alone. You may not love Jesus anymore, but I still love you. I'm going to be annoying to you until the day you die because me and you are still friends. And I am the worst at that. Don't turn your back on these people. Just because they leave the faith, you don't turn your back on these people and I am the worst whenever it comes to this. If you turn your back on them, you lump yourself into the same category as the Pharisees where you become this religiously self-righteous person. How dare they leave the faith? I'm better than them. I don't want to go around them anymore. And you lump yourself in with the same group of people that Jesus opposed on a daily basis. 
But why do we do that? Why do we want to turn our back on these people? I'll tell you why. We're hurt. Maybe I'm talking to myself here. We're hurt. We've invested time into these people. We've made our love to them completely known. We were doing everything that we knew how to keep this person following Jesus. Everything that was, that was our responsibility biblically to, to love this person. And we end up feeling just, we, we end up feeling like they've insulted us just as much as they've insulted Jesus. Which is to put yourself on the same pedestal as Jesus and you're not that important. First and foremost, they left Jesus. They didn't offend you. But that's what happens. You know, we thought we knew this person's heart and they left. But instead of getting mad, what we should do is we should be mourning the fact that these people have left. Like consider Jesus. I don't know how many of you are, are super familiar with the Gospels, but Jesus, he's, he's getting ready to walk into Jerusalem, right, where these people are going to kill him in just a few days. And the Bible says he weeps over Jerusalem. He says, oh, how I wish I could gather you under my wings like a hen gathers her chicks. And he's sobbing the fact that they won't listen to him. He's sobbing the fact that they have turned from God and have been following their own ways. And these are the people who are getting ready to kill him. And he's wishing, sobbing, that they would come to repentance. We have to carry a burden for the people that have left Jesus. We have to. It's what Jesus did. This has to be something that weighs on us like never before. This has to be something that we hit our knees daily about these people, that God restore them back to where they once were. But how do you do it? Right? What do you do? I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't roll up on these people screaming hellfire and brimstone at them. Right? Like, I know like that's what a lot... You know you're going to hell, right? Uh, dude, I haven't talked to you in like four months. What are you doing Right? Like, you know you're messing up. Yeah, I'm fully aware, right? These, these people who have left the faith, they know this stuff. They know that if Christianity is true, and it is, that there is hell to pay for the things that they're doing. They don't need you to remind them most of the time. They know they're morally messing up. They know that they shouldn't be doing the things that they're doing. They don't care. But I'll tell you what they don't know. they clearly cannot fully understand the love of God. And that's what you talk to them about. Hey man, I'm not here to bust your teeth and I'm not here to tell you how badly you've been messing up. Let me tell you about the God that you have been faithless to. That you've been unfaithful to. Let me tell you how much he loves you. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with the story of the prodigal son, but that is, that is us and God whenever we're unfaithful. That is God and the person who has left him. Okay, so, you, okay, so you, you go to this person. Okay, so you've spit in the face of God. You've told him, I wish you were dead. I don't want anything to do with you. I want to do what I want to do. And you've took off and you've lived your life the way you've wanted to. And you have committed sin after sin, squandered away everything that you've had and not cared anything about Jesus. But the father looked out at the road every day waiting for the son to come home. You have never gone so far away from Jesus that you cannot come back. There is nothing that you've done. 
that Jesus will not forgive you for. You've never wandered so far that Jesus won't love you again. Jesus loves you now. You tell these people about the love of God. You tell them of the goodness of God. You show them the love of God by loving them and begging them to stay. But I'm telling you this, whenever there is nothing left that you can do, whenever you've told them of the love of Jesus and they don't want to listen, whenever you've told them that there is forgiveness in Jesus, if they would just come back to him, that he has his arms wide open waiting for their return, and they won't listen and they don't care when there's nothing else you can do, you can pray. We talked about prayer last week. You are contacting the God who spoke everything into existence and holds the universe together by his will to intervene in this person's life and bring them to him. I'm telling you this, guys. Don't give up. Don't give up and don't lose hope because they're not listening. Don't give up and don't lose hope because they've, they've taken off. Because nobody is too far gone or too set in their ways that they can't come back to Jesus. Look at me. If you would have told me four years ago that one day I was going to be standing up preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to a crowd, I would have spit in your face and told you to get away from me. And yet, because people pursued me and people talked with me and people loved me, the Holy Spirit used that and wooed me until I began to fall in love with Jesus. I am proof positive that no one is too far gone. Do not give up hope on the people that have taken off. I cannot tell you enough because I don't know who I would be or where I would be if people had given up on me and no one had told me of the love of Jesus on a a deep level. I wouldn't be here. And when you feel hopeless, whenever you feel like you're so frustrated and so irritated that you want to give up on these people, I want you to remember one thing. Remember you. Remember the fact that you were once a sinner. You were once an outsider. You were once separated by your sin from the God that you now love. But Jesus brought you to himself because someone told you the gospel, because someone pursued you in love and wanted you to know the truth of the good news of Jesus. Don't forget about yourself because if God can save me and God can save you and as wretched as we are and as vile as we are and as much as we deserve hell, then he can save anybody. There is hope. And if you feel like this is just going to be a lot of work and this isn't something that you want to do, I want you to remember one thing. Jesus, seeing that we had sinned and rebelled against God and that justice demanded us to go to hell for eternity, Jesus did not sit idly by and say, well, that's what they chose. They should have been obedient to God. Jesus entered human history to bring us to himself. Jesus came to earth, lived a sinless life, took my sin and your sin and the sins of the ones who have wandered on himself and then went to the cross and suffered God's wrath for the things that we have all done and then died 
And then three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that everything was paid for if we will place our faith in Jesus. And faith isn't just mental assent. Faith is, I believe in my mind, I trust with my heart, and I'm going to be loyal to this fact. That if we will believe in Jesus, that he has paid for everything. Don't forget that. I'm telling you, if any of you here have, have wandered from Jesus, if any of you here are on the verge of wandering and, and, you, and you just want to be out, or you feel like you have no accountability or whatever, you just feel like you've, that there, there's just something keeping you from Jesus, that there's something keeping you from coming back home, I'm, I beg you, place your faith in Jesus. You are not too far gone. As long as you are breathing, there is still time and there is still hope for you to place your faith in Jesus. No one is too far gone. You know, so don't give up on these people. For those of you who have wandered or are wandering, don't give up. Come back home. Come to Jesus. He wants you here. He desires you more than you understand. So if any of you want someone to pray with you or you want to know more about Jesus or you want to know more about, maybe, maybe you've never wandered but you just have never come to faith in Jesus. You, you, don't, you don't understand. You want to know more. I'll be here on the edge of this stage whenever we're done with worship music. I want to pray with you. I want to talk to you. I want to explain this to you. Or Allie and AJ and Brady are going to be over there by the couches during worship. They want to pray with you. We want you to come back home. We want you to come home for the first time. We want you to experience the love of Jesus. But for those of us who are faithful to Jesus, don't give up hope. No one's too far gone. I cannot say that enough because sometimes we really think that people are so far gone and so set in their ways that it's not worth our breath to talk to them. And that is a lie from hell. Don't give up on your brother. Don't give up on your sister. Don't give up on your best friend. Don't give up on your cousins, whoever it may be. Do not stop talking with them. Because I don't know where I'd be if someone had done that. I don't know where you'd be if someone had done that to you. And also, we, 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 have, to, we have to run to the people who are struggling, right? The people who haven't completely left the faith but are, are wandering. We have to run to them and be family to them. They haven't left yet, but a lot of people are on the brink, and they need someone to reel them back in. So I challenge you. I challenge you guys. Three things. One, this week, I want you guys to do this. Throw it up there, man. Talk to someone who used to follow Jesus that you know. I guarantee you almost every one of us knows someone who used to follow Jesus that bounced out of church at some point, whether it was whenever they turned 18 and mom and dad couldn't tell them what to do or whatever, they just said, I'm out. Talk to somebody. Reach out to someone that you don't know. Someone in this church that you don't know. Exchange contact info with them. Hey man, I don't know you. I want to get to know you. I want to love you. I want to struggle with you. I want to hold you accountable. I want you to hold me accountable. I want us to pray for each other. I want us to confess our sins to each other. I want us to do this Christian life together. And the third thing, find an accountability partner. 
with someone that you already know, someone that you're already comfortable with, someone that has been walking this life with you already, but you've not began confessing your sins to. Find someone that's going to hold your feet to the fire. Do one, do two. I hope you do all three. Take action. Prove that you're a Christian. Prove it with how you live your life. Prove it by being an accountability partner or or having one. Prove it by pursuing people who are lost. Remember that Jesus found us, that he didn't leave us where we were. Be like that. Don't give up. I'll leave you guys with this. It's a quote from a man named Charles Spurgeon. I think he hit the nail on the head. He said, if sinners be damned, then let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their legs, imploring them to stay. Let's pray. Father, you're, you're a good God that has brought me and countless numbers of people to you. God, thank you for the people that you've sent in, our, in all of our lives as a whole body of Christ that, that has called us to repentance, that have loved us, that has held us accountable, that has pursued us whenever we were unpursuable, whenever all hope seemed to be gone and they never gave up because we don't just hope, we hope in Christ and there is true hope there. God, I thank you for the people that you've put in all of our lives that have brought us to you. God, I pray that we can be that for somebody, that we can hold each other accountable, that we can love one another, and that we can call people back to repentance who once used to know your love. God, I pray your Holy Spirit come down and just put a fire in us that we would listen to your call to go out and and pursue the lost. Help us to be faithful to your word and and to do this thing that Jesus and James have commanded us to do. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.